Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Internal Invasion and Erotic Evasion, written by John Zellig. A Noir Science Fiction Erotic Adventure Book 1, Terminal Orgasm NASA's military and intelligence arms are at the tip of the spear for a dictatorship that utterly dominates the U.S., they work with an alien life form, a kind of symbiont, that exists as part of a collectivity. Feeding on neurotransmitters, these entities are introduced into the body in a way that, at least initially, causes pleasure. Tyler and Nebraska head a commando team that rescues Nebraska's lover, Jenna, from a NASA interrogation lab. But once they've spirited Jenna to at least temporary safety, how do they extract the creature that's been implanted in her? And can they do it in time to save Jenna's life? Book 2. The Struggle for Inner Space In their safe house in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, Tyler and her team are running out of time. Sooner or later, they know there will be a counter-strike. And very soon, the clock will run down on Jenna. They'd grabbed up Dr. Cavatello when they rescued Jenna. She may be of help. And the symbiont? It may not, or they may not, actually want what the rebels, or NASA, think they want. Book 3. Subsumed After you make peace, when the dust has settled and a new reality is in place, what does coexistence look and feel like, physically, spiritually? sexually. Sexual choices? Top of list. With the battle over, some people might be inclined to just give in. We all make our own choices, after all. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Internal Invasion and Erotic Evasion. Terminal Orgasm Part 1. Houston, We Have a Problem the Interrogation 1 Basically, they'd turned what Jenna was experiencing into a movie, one that she was watching in real time, in which she was the star. The virtual reality goggles strapped to her head were like high-tech horse blinders. She saw only what they wanted her to see in the way that they wanted her to see it. It wasn't always clear what was real and what was an effect. It wasn't always clear why that should matter at all. Mostly what she got was Dr. Cavatello, against what looked like a blank blue screen, her glossy black hair tied back and tied down with some severity, her lab coat long and blindingly white, her eyes a disturbing, shimmering green. Almost everything else popped in and out of existence, not at all randomly. And then, of course, the drugs. Whatever they had pumped into her made it hard to focus. Which is simply ridiculous, Cavatello was saying, her tone, as almost always, in that weird neutral zone between boredom and irritated dismissal, caring and not caring, indifference and agitation. Why would we fake the moon landing? The gag-slash-ventilator in Jenna's mouth made it impossible to respond, 
not that there was any response being asked for, or that they would have accepted. Yes, conspiracy theories are silly. But did Cavatello have no sense of irony whatsoever? An ace interrogator for one of NASA's shadowy security units, about to begin what had to be called torture, which could only end in Jenna's death or permanent disappearance. She was being snotty and disdainful about the poor, deluded public? Not possible to laugh through the gag. Not a situation with any humorous aspect at all, anyway. But, of course, there was a space-related conspiracy, and, no, it wasn't about Roswell or area whatever out in the Nevada desert, or little green men, big-eyed with misshapen heads or flying saucers. It was more complicated and subtle than that. Yes, NASA had launched us into space. No question, we went to the moon, returned safely to Earth. They'd brought something back. On that first flight, subsequent flights, orbital flights, who knew, really? First contact had happened decades ago. Secretly, with effects on and implications for democratic governance and human freedoms that few people truly understood. Although the resistance had made inroads there, bringing a modicum of the truth to the light of day. Jenna's eyes flitted around the landscape presented to her by the humid headset. She tried to move her neck, mostly immobilized anyway, hoping that this would reveal at least a little more of what was on her virtual periphery. Cavatello's face was suddenly huge, taking up almost all of Jenna's field of vision. Then the view pulled back. Cavatello sort of floated across the blue to a kind of terrarium that had appeared in the background. A wall of glass, punctuated and penetrated every few feet by pairs of gloves, via which what was inside the tank could be touched and manipulated without making direct contact. It wasn't possible to clearly see through the glass. Whatever was in there, it, they, appeared to be writhing like a ball of snakes. Suddenly there were two Cavatellos. Jenna's screens split. On one half, she saw Cavatello insert her hands into one of the pairs of gloves and begin to fish around for something behind the glass. On the other half, the visage of Cavatello number two, huge, facial poor close, spoke to her as if they were nose to nose. There was no interest in pretending we had accomplished something we hadn't, she said sourly. It was more important to shield people from what really had happened. Ah, Cavatello number one cried, apparently having snagged whatever it was she'd been fishing for. The version, or vision, of Cavatello that had been in the background, looked up, appeared to be talking to someone out of shot, then simply winked out, as did the big-face Cavatello avatar. The screens blinked dark for a moment. Jenna heard the sound of typing, the quick, quiet tap and click of a keyboard. Cavatello appeared again, leaning over her, one hand reaching beyond the screen. Jenna felt 
clammy fingers tented over the perspiration-sheened skin of her naked abdomen. The other hand, now gloved in surgical blue, held... something. The Mission Target Acquisition It had taken a lot of arguing, and a lot of energy, and a lot of time. And, the matter finally settled, it wasn't clear to Jenna whether or not they'd made the right decision. Ironic, given that she was the one who had ultimately argued them all into it. It has to be NASA, she'd said. Over and over and over and over and over again. Whether you want intel or effective strategic action, you go to the nerve center of the enemy's operation. There are other choices, Brandy had said ad nauseum. There are not, Nebraska had reliably chimed in. Didn't always side with her lover. When she did, she and Jenna were a tenacious team. An irritating and time-consuming argument on endless loop. They'd finally fatigued the group into agreement. Fucking consensus, Jenna had muttered. Gesturing as though brushing off crumbs, she'd tweaked a braless nipple through Nebraska's sweat-stained sleeveless undershirt, drawing first a covert scowl of reprimand, then, also hidden, a shy smile that would have surprised the others. Nebraska? Smiling? Shy? Unlikely. The Interrogation 2 Not really clear to Jenna, it hadn't been for what felt like an interminable period of time, which were her emotions, thoughts, feelings, questions, and which were simply... Pick a category. Tech-facilitated illusions? Drug-enhanced delusions? Downloaded brain programming, fervent wishes, dark dreams, vivid nightmares. They were in her head, Cavatello included, reading her thoughts, injecting their own, shaping, editing, raping. Skullfucking, Nebraska had always called it, which, up until quite recently, Jenna had always thought unnecessarily crude or flippant. No. Cavatello said, voice suddenly soft and husky, leaning in close, or appearing to anyway. You can't tell anymore. I know. Jenna felt a wave of panic, a full body shudder wash over her. Well, I find that very exciting anyway, Cavatello murmured, as if softly rebuking Jenna for her horror. The view changed again. Jenna could see Cavatello standing more or less between the widespread legs of what she assumed to be herself. Nude, festooned with wires and tubes and probes, suspended in the air in something best described as a sex sling. In Cavatello's blue-gloved right hand? One of them. Jenna thought a gurgling, moaning whimper, felt it echo and resonate in her chest and in her belly, but heard nothing. It was perhaps a meter long. Hard to tell exactly with most of it 
curled around Cavatello's forearm. Four, what to call them, but heads, each perhaps ten centimeters long, undulating sensuously over her palm, like the fronds of some sea plant, dancing and waving in the water. The image of Cavatello on the screen leaned in. Jenna felt and saw the shiny, supple, slippery, metallic-looking creature unspool itself, flow from Cavatello's arm to coil around her thigh, the heads now poised in a row above, seemingly waving at, the juncture between her legs. It would have been such bliss to scream, to vomit, simply to die. Cavatello leaned forward, far enough to be, momentarily, out of shot again. Jenna felt the odd, dry, passionless, chapped lips rough, surprising peck of a kiss on her throat. Warm breath in her ear, the thrumming of blood, passion, and terror throughout her entire body. No, baby. Cavatello whispered in her ear, voice oddly thick with passion. Kiss and tell first. You don't die until we are ready for you to die. You know that. She moved back a little, tapped her fingers on Jenna's abdomen. The four heads froze for a moment, as if coming to attention, then went into sequential, slow, but methodical and relentless motion. One of the heads looped low, traced Jenna's perineum lightly, stopped at the indentation of her anus, began there to rotate, almost imperceptibly at first, a glacially patient auger. Then there was a cold, slippery squirt of something wet, a momentary feeling of numbness, and that first penetration. The rotation continued, joined first by an almost imperceptible pulse. Pressure, intrusion, withdrawal. Each time, more forward motion, less retreat. And then a low hum and buzz, and an endless vibration that seemed to resonate through Jenna's entire body, convulsing her. The admixture of terror and pleasure was both chilling and confusing. The Resistance. Rescue Plans. I'm not saying we can't, Brandy reiterated quietly. I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm saying we get one shot at this. And if we don't get Jenna back, hard to see how we don't make things worse by compounding the loss. He was a big man, brawny, bearded, and shaggy, strong but gentle quiet but relentless, like the St. Bernards they sent out to rescue avalanche survivors, those signature kegs, at least in cartoons and the popular imagination, secured to their collars. Anyone who knew him knew and understood the story. Some of the noobs still smiled and blinked a little on meeting him for the first time, Grizzly Adams with the nickname of a pole dancer. There had been occasional stabs at making the name more masculine. Bran didn't fly. 
Rather be a stripper than high fiber, he'd said dismissively. Nebraska, the origins of her nickname lost in the mists of time, not something she would talk about, scowled. Look, Brandy said, voice sympathetic. I know what it's like. To lose a lover? Nebraska interrupted, nodding solemnly. We all do, she added. Sadness and fatigue, the dominant notes in her voice. Anger, a faint echo. Always there, always had been. We're burning daylight here, folks, Tyler said, tapping French manicured fingernails on the table with an authoritative click. Run it for us again. Decide. You know my feelings. You have my vote. Doing this? My team is wheels up in 90 minutes. Houston by midnight. Lose this window, options off the table. I'm going, Nebraska said, voice no longer sullen, just the facts flat, leapfrogging over the question of whether, skipping right to the matter of who, putting herself on the list in a manner that brooked no argument. Brandy and Tyler exchanged a glance and a shrug. How do we even know she's in the bunker? One of the noobs asked. Mission control has guidelines, protocols, Brandy said, adding dryly, and habits. They've got her, that's where. He ran a hand pensively through his beard. Look, he said, we're not the Marines. We can't afford no one left behind if that wipes us out. My girl comes home, Nebraska interjected, voice deadly soft. The room became still. But, Brandy continued as if he hadn't been interrupted, the potential losses, they break her, that's gonna unravel half a dozen networks minimum, us included. I agree, he said reluctantly. Leaving her there is the greater risk. Nebraska stood. Tyler followed suit, as did the four others who rounded out the team. That's a go, then. Tyler said softly, and they trooped out of the room, quickly and in silence. The Interrogation 3 Cavatello had stepped back further, was eyeing Jenna with apparent clinical detachment, tapping notes on a tablet computer. Under her lab coat and tight black pencil skirt, however, she was doing kegel exercises, rhythmically clenching and unclenching her buttocks, tensing and relaxing her thighs, a masturbatory ritual. Interrogations of this sort made her panty-changing wet. Always had. We didn't know what they wanted initially, Cavatello was saying, calmly recounting history, or what we might want from them, for that matter. It felt to Jenna as though the first probe was now unspooling and extending and exploring, burrowing further and further into her body, as though, given time, it might go so far into her that it would come out her nose, or the top of her head for that matter. After all, both from what she knew and what she had been more or less promised, it was clear that she was not supposed to survive interrogation. That wasn't the protocol. Jenna whimpered again. The terror and that horrific and confusing pleasure pulsing through her with greater and greater intensity. 
So we kept secrets, Cavatella was saying, for decades, until she looked up, eyes now cold, expression flat. Your group began, she licked her lips, grimaced, agitating. The second head languidly found its way to just above the first. Jenna imagined that the sensation on her perineum was similar to that of the tongue of a kitten. Sandpaper dry, sharp, a little ticklish. As the probe moved upward, she had the feeling that it was ever so gently, sipping or sucking or licking, following the trail of lubrication that had started flowing from her pussy. Until its motion stopped, at the very lowest edge of that, now desperately hungry and demanding, opening. It was such a stunning and mind-numbing betrayal. Her own body screaming, begging to be penetrated. Faster and harder, deeper and further, with less restraint and in more orifices. Jenna would have groaned or moaned or screamed, were that possible. Her body quaked in fear. And need. Cavatello looked up from her tablet, squinted a little. You want it, she said matter-of-factly, in recognition. You don't know why. You don't want to. But you want it. And, you're right, momentarily you are going to need it. It is... She mused. For us, useful, that addiction. For you, as you well know, it can only be fatal. Why? The word a desperate, endlessly repeated shriek in Jenna's head. Cavatello simply stared at her. Then, Cavatello's lips motionless, words began to reach Jenna again. Was it Orwell? Was it 1984? Was the operative phrase, because we can? You know why, Cavatello's thoughts, brusque and dismissive. We've had an effective and mutually beneficial alliance. They get sustenance and pleasure. We get information and control. You and the other little bands of agitators are destabilizing and disrupting things. That is going to be stopped. There was a pause that seemed to be meant as ironic. By any means necessary. The second probe slithered into Jenna's pussy and just kept going. The pleasure and the gratitude was almost overwhelming. Good girl. Cavatello's thoughts now whispered and cooed confusingly, if only briefly tender. No way to stop it. Welcome it. Things will go so much easier for you if you do. When you do, she amended. It's inevitable. When you give in, not if. And then the counterpoint. From memory, from her soul, from some larger consciousness that Jenna couldn't quite pin down or identify. That single word, which came through faintly, like a weak, broken-up, static-laced signal from an old shortwave radio. Resist! She felt Cavatello sigh, an obvious response to the thought. 
We still have the option, her thoughts warned Jenna, of the cerebral probes. Jenna had seen bootlegged videos smuggled out at the cost of lives. The five or six-headed probe at work, ears, nostrils, throat, the image too blurry to tell whether or not there really was a sixth, looped around, boring into the nape of the neck. There had been rumors as well regarding penetration via the eye sockets. The optic nerve grows directly into or out of the brain, Brandy had said during that initial presentation. How long ago had it been? Isn't this better? Cavatello's thoughts crooned as the vicarious pleasure of Jenna's violation hummed through her body. Better not to have your head, well, plundered. Better that this method breaks you more via pleasure than via pain. Jenna was getting dizzy, her consciousness beginning to fade or to shift, to melt or to meld, to expand or to implode. The third probe darted into her urethra. Her vision blurred a little in both pain and pleasure. Eyes half-lidded in ecstasy, filmed with tears, Jenna's view from the goggles was a straight shot between her own legs. Three of the silvery probes in serpentine motion, busy, delving. The fourth seemed frozen, curled almost in the shape of a question mark. What you'd have to call a mouth agape, revealing a forest of needles that you'd have to call teeth. Poised perhaps a centimeter above her clit, inflamed and wet, which seemed to pulse and swell in anticipation and incitement. A quick spurt of moisture hit Cavatello's already sodden panties. Something about clitlock that she'd always found compelling. Frightening, but gratifying. Tragic, but beautiful. Horrific, but erotic. Freud's Eros and Thanatos, that juxtaposition, Sex and death fused and crystallized into a single moment. The room seemed to pulse with an amplified, warbling whisper. It took Jenna a moment to recognize the voice. Her own. Literally, her thoughts. Literally broadcast. It was an agonized, desperate, and pathetic plea. One that she desperately didn't want to make. Half a sob of passion and desire, half a panicked and confused demand. Take me! Oh, please, take me! This time she saw Cavatello's lips move as she looked up from her tablet again, eyes glittering and cold. You are going to tell us, Jenna, she said, speaking aloud again. Voice flat, tone certain. Everything we want to know. Your organization, membership, activities, locations, everything. And then... To call it a viper's smile seemed not just appropriate but unavoidable. We can get on with the matter of your terminal orgasm. Jenna felt her heart swell with awe, terror, gratitude, relief, anticipation. There was the muffled sound of an explosion. Some of the equipment rattled a bit. Jenna swayed in her sex sling, 
a hammock in a light seaside breeze. Another explosion quickly followed, closer this time. The lights flickered for a second, then died. It seemed like, perhaps, some kind of emergency backup system had been triggered, and then immediately failed. The screens inside Jenna's goggles winked out, leaving her in darkness. Two quick bursts of automatic weapons fire, and then there was a flash of light, visible even around the semi-sealed edges of the goggles, as the door blew off its hinges and skittered into the room on an acrid cloud. The sharp smell of almonds, the signature perfume of C4 plastique. Nebraska was just an artist when it came to blowing shit up. She'd sometimes called it therapeutic. Likely not really joking, was the last thing Jenna remembered before fully losing consciousness. The Retreat Saving Jenna Jenna regained consciousness, jarringly, to the whoop and clatter of chopper blades. She was strapped down to a stretcher, Nebraska kneeling by her side, rigged for combat, skinny arms protruding from a flak jacket, face grim, serious. It took her a moment to realize that she was still wearing goggles, though they felt different. The fact that Nebraska was, too, and that everything she could see was night-vision green helped that click into place quickly. She could see Tyler at the chopper's controls, counted four others, recognizing two of them. Off to the side, also strapped to a stretcher, she saw a heavy zippered black plastic body bag. Hey, she croaked, loud as she could to be heard over the rotors. Nebraska all but snapped to attention. Hey, lover, she said, smile brittle, voice tense. You were out a little late. Thought maybe we should come give you a ride home. Who do we lose? The night vision goggles were heavy and sweaty, but they made it easier to point with one's face. Nebraska's smile got tighter, but a little more genuine. Gain, she shouted above the chopper blades. Not loss. Skittering across the armor-plated floor, unzipping the top of the bag. Picked up your friend, Dr. Tortellini, whatever the fuck her name is. Cavatello's mouth was sealed, a loop of duct tape going all the way around to the back of her head. Her eyes were bloodshot and a little wild, nose running, face flushed. Peel her, Jenna shouted, not happy, but no hesitation. Nebraska cocked her head to the side in question. She's a mouthy little cunt. Gave me an earful during extraction. Not really interested in hearing anything more from her. Jenna bobbed her head, winced at how much that hurt. She chokes on her own puke. She's just going to be expired cargo. Might be more useful alive. It was hard to read half-expressions with the goggles on, but it looked to Jenna like Nebraska gave a little flinch in response as she unsheathed the knife on her belt. Then Jenna felt it, a faint coiling and writhing. Inside her, it was still inside her. She jerked her head to the side as far as she could, projectile vomited, turning back when she heard Cavatello scream. The duct tape was off, along with two hanks of Cavatello's hair. She was squawking something that Jenna couldn't quite make out, 
as Nebraska unceremoniously stuffed her head back down into the body bag and zipped it closed again. Then one of the noobs was by Jenna's side, doing a quick flick and spray, clearing air bubbles from a syringe. Nebraska was back, her hand gentle on Jenna's forehead. Problem solved, she shouted. Doc, angel hair's gonna be just fine. We'll get that thing out of you, babe. We will. There was a little shuffle and scuffle as the noob shot the contents of the syringe into Jenna's IV line. Then the lights went out. Again. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Internal Invasion and Erotic Evasion. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.